Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Travis Zadeh, who is a professor in the Department of Religion at Yale University. We'll be speaking about a fascinating book about a fascinating book called Wonders and Rarities, the marvelous book that traveled the world and mapped the cosmos. And of course, um, as you'll soon discover by virtue of the content of the book and the book within the book. Um, this podcast will certainly be cross-posted, if not guest-hosted, at uh, New Books in Islamic Studies. Um, by the way, this is this will be out in early 2023, and it's Harvard University Press. All the details in the podcast notes as usual. Travis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's such a thrill to be here. I'm, I'm really uh, happy to talk with you about this book. So uh, first things first, tell us about the genesis of this project. Yeah, so I I came to this work uh, through a very winding path, and uh, and this work is a as you said, it, the, my book is a book about a book, and and the way I came to uh, the subject of my book, a kind of biography of a book, is through um, archival research that I I undertook in in various locations, um, working closely in Arabic and Persian, Turkish, or do uh, manuscripts and lithographs. And so uh, this book just travels everywhere. It's this book called Wonders and Rarities. And so it's almost inescapable in a way. And, and it is such a strange book uh, in, in many uh, senses of the word to our, our modern sensibilities. And so I thought you could tell a, a broader tale through the stories of this, this one uh, work that traveled in so many archives across across the world, yeah, and over history. So this strange book, tell us a bit about this fascinating, alluring, strange book. Right. It is a very strange book. It actually has strangeness in the title uh, in the sense of um, rarities. So I, I'm, I'm calling it Wonders and Rarities. The, the Arabic might be closer to, because uh, it was written in Arabic uh, originally, something closer to um, the wonders of things created and the rarities or strange strange oddities of matter's existence, which is a little bit of a mouthful, but um, it is strange and it, it sets out to be strange in the sense of covering the whole wonders of creation uh, and with it, this the strange diversity found therein. So it, it really is a panoply of, uh, of the natural world and, and we could think of it as a natural history. So um, tell us a little bit for, for perhaps more of our, gen- our general audience, how... Um... How is the book, the book within the book structure, the book that you're studying? Right. Yes, the uh, the book that uh, within a book. So this one book of wonders and rarities. Um, it was written uh, it the, in the eve of the Mongol conquest, and it's structured in a very scholastic way. So the thing that's kind of uh, I think very exciting about this particular work uh, is that it's written by a college professor, uh, a professor in a madrasa who is also a chief judge in in this in a city outside of 
Baghdad uh, called Wasit that that no longer exists today. And he, his name is Kazvini, and his book uh, is structured in a very scholastic way, uh, coming out of a, a madrasa or collegiate education. Um, and so it it follows the cosmos above with the heavens and the stars, uh, and and it's a very much a, a a geocentric vision of the world. And then it gets into the minutia of uh, minerals, plants, animals uh, on on Earth, uh, the sublunar realm, as it's referred to. And it's very much a, a classical model inherited from Aristotelian uh, natural philosophy in, in very broad brush terms. Is the book anomalous in its in its genre and its type? Are there others like yeah, it? It's a yeah, it's a great great question. And and indeed, there's um, so. Part of the, the, the bigger story I'm, I'm wanting to tell with this particular book, and, and there are other works like it uh, that do circulate uh, and circulate um, quite widely, but perhaps none with the same kind of renown as, as this particular book, this book by Kazvini uh, called Wonders and Rarities. And this broader story I'm hoping to tell in, in, in the course of my own book, as it were, is uh, this larger history of, of enchantment or various forms of enchantment that wrap much of the globe. Uh, so how it goes from how we go uh, in, as moderns to understand the world kind of with, uh, with the sun at, at, you know, no longer uh, um, orbiting the earth, but at the center of our solar system and with knowledge of the, the Western hemisphere. So the world, how do we go about understanding a world before Copernicus and Columbus, as it were? Uh, and, and this book, which is in a genre of others like it, perhaps tells that story like no other because it just had such a long enduring appeal. Uh, it, it makes its way all throughout South Asia, uh, through, throughout uh, the Indian subcontinent. Um, it, it expands, it extends into uh, Turkey. Uh, as I said, there's Turkish translations. Uh, there's later Urdu translations. So it's part of this larger network of learning that spans, we could say, from North Africa all the way to Bengal. Um, in this Arabic cosmopolis, you could you could refer to it as that, or a, a large network of of learning in Arabic letters that's rooted in natural history, but it's also a delightful uh, set of stories and anecdotes that are woven throughout it. So it's it's both scientific and also, in many ways, a kind of popularization of uh, scientific writing of the day. Uh, so there are stories and anecdotes that stretch the imagination, and that's where the strangeness comes in. Really, is that we're also dealing with quite clearly. Um, accounts of the wonders of the world that are are, are beyond the, the pale as moderns for us to really fathom as having any reality to them. So we're talking about the classical um, so-called monstrous races of antiquity that we see from Herodotus, you know, in the, the Ramayana, um, the Mahabharata, you know, there's a long tradition of writing about strange creatures. So, uh, but here it's taken quite seriously and, and, and literally uh, as monstrous races and, and figures and forms that are, are part of a larger cosmic order. So it's a fun work to, to think with in that regard, because it just rubs up against our modern sensibilities. Um, before Copernicus and Columbus, the world is so different in, in many ways. We could think of it in those terms too. Aside from the content about giants, yeah. um, what other wondrous elements and tales, whether they're tall tales or not, might we yeah. find? Yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating because like our attention and, there, and this book has received a fair amount of uh, attention from art historians in, in particular. So it's it's not unknown to, to scholars uh, of Arab 
Arabic, Persian, uh, Turkish, Urdu letters, certainly. Um, and, and a lot of the attention in the modern period is focused on, like you said, the giants and, and the people with ears so big they can wrap themselves up in them as blankets. Um, and of course, that, that has a, an Indian analog, very clear Indian analog, um, uh, as do the creatures with, that are human in all form, except they have just one giant foot that they jump around on. And it turns out that they can run very fast with that giant foot. Of course, that's in, um, in Pliny's natural history, but you, you also have these kinds of figures in the Mahabharata um, in, in particular. And, and so um, you're talking about, in, in many ways, shared cosmographies of difference, of imagining the strangeness in the world at the, at the edges of, of at the margins of, of the inhabited earth. And yet for Kazuini, that it's so fascinating that that wonder, the strange, the uncanny, you know, the, the perfect example are the things that are much closer to home. For him, he turns for for instance, it's a very uh, classical move to the beehive. Contemplate the beehive, he says. Right? How strange it is that a singular bee, you know, uh, working in in concert with all these other bees, can uh, can be a labor on this giant project of uh, creating these perfect, uh, you know, ge geometric shapes that uh, a skilled laborer and an architect on their own couldn't really craft in, in, the, in the same terms. And so uh, for Kazuini, wonder is not only, though, though it certainly is, a, a question of the, the far and the remote, but it's also very much about the near and the proximate. Uh, and in this way, his book is a, a, also, you could think of it as a, a kind of metaphor for thinking about emotions broadly and ways of, of knowing the world in, in, in very broad brush strokes. So it, it speaks to a history of emotions and a history of knowledge um, as well and a, and a long story of uh, in philosophy on wonder. Uh, and, and, and yet wonder, of course, in, in, the, in the, the broader philo philosophical tradition, uh, kind of takes two kind of bifurcates. Uh, and in, in one sense, you get this Aristotelian model that Kazmini uh, certainly inherits, uh, inherits, which is that of it coming out of Plato and building in, in Aristotle's metaphysics of wonderment is uh, not knowing the cause behind a given phenomenon and, and wonderment ends in knowledge, right? It's the basis of philosophy as Aristotle writes in the opening of the metaphysics. And uh, and because we are certainly aware of that, that idea of wonder as the basis of, of knowledge. Uh, and yet there's this other side of wonder. Uh, and, and this is what's so fascinating about the book that for us as moderns, I think we, we see wonder as also um, part of, of childhood uh, and wonderment as connected to childhood and with it, with stages of human development broadly. Uh, and Kazuini kind of builds on this in certain ways, but this argument that wonderment is located in a medieval past or ignorance of the world um, is, is very longstanding. And it, it also forms part of, of Orientalist discourses or discourses writings about um, Orientals as being stuck in an age of wonderment, of ignorance of the, how the world works as wonderment as this location of childhood. And so in this sense, Kazuini can tell both the story of wonderment in Islam broadly, but also the reception of works like this uh, in, in the course of colonial modernity as emblems of oriental ignorance and superstition. So it's a, it's a kind of double-edged sword in, the, in that regard, and it, and it helps tell a, a much broader story of, of wonder in, uh, across Eurasia, of the history of emotions, the shared cosmographies that, that bind uh, whole groups of people together, uh, and the enduring appeal of a work like this all the way into the 19th century, that it continued to be printed uh, clearly for the information, both pleasurable information, practical information, uh, but also cosmological information of the world.
how uh, do we know how this this book was received? Yeah, that's a yeah. Thank you. It it so it's a it's story of its genesis is fascinating in its own right, and and part of my book is 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 trying to untangle that story of its of its re early reception, uh, and and its composition, uh, and also so it, like like you mentioned, my book is a is a mirror to this other work, and and so I I structure my own work in a, in this tradition of of a, a Persian tradition of a javab or response to an earlier piece of usually poetry so uh, but here I'm, I'm thinking of my own book as a kind of response to Kazwini's book which was received quite laudably I, I should wish so much for mine but um uh but that that aside it it, it was uh dedicated to the highest levels of of society and clearly circulated um, um amongst the the the, the the ruling elite uh, and and was a part of a book culture that was celebrated and cultivated by uh, by the state and so the situation of its composition is is so fascinating because Kazvin where he grew up the city of Kazvin the modern city of Kazvin fell to the to the Mongol invaders in 1220 under Genghis Khan. Uh, and so Kazvini himself was a, a, just a teenager and he fled with many of the other notables uh, that, that escaped the conquest of the city. Um, and then he, he, he lived on uh, in, the, in the safety of Iraq until the, um, uh, and, and, and continued to thrive. But then Iraq itself, the Abbasids were conquered uh, in, of course, 1258, Baghdad falls and, and the Abbasid Caliphate falls. And there's a new government that's that's set up under the um, the, the the rule of Hulagu, the grandson of Genghis Khan. And this government uh, is it is referred to referred to as the Ilkhanids. Uh, has uh, uh, goes immediately to work uh, in 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 cultivating the same networks of patronage and administrative structures that were in place beforehand. So there are certainly uh, all forms of novel uh, developments that take place under the Mongols, but there's also a profound continuity. And Kazwini goes back to his position in, in Wasit, the city on the Tigris, uh, where he was a, a professor of, a, at a college, a head professor and judge, and he dedicates his work to the to the governor, no longer the caliph, but the governor under uh, uh, the Mongols of Iraq, Juwaini, uh, this high-ranking governor, uh, and it was a sumptuously illuminated work. So it it, it took uh, all forms of capital and resources to illuminate and that, uh, illuminate it, and by that I mean filled with paintings and illustrations. Uh, so it really was a, a world within a book, uh, presented to a to a world conqueror, um, in, in a sense, to somebody who sat at, in the highest echelons of the, the Mongol elite. And indeed, it continued to circulate like this in one, one track, which is the track of uh, the court, courtly elites from the Ilkhanids all the way uh, up to the, the, uh, the Mughals, the Safavids, the Ottomans, um, and, and, and minor dynasties in between. Uh, uh, the, certainly the Timurids, not a minor dynasty in its own right. Uh, but it had this dynastic uh, reception. But it also re had a reception through madrasas, these, these uh, institutions of Islamic learning. Uh, throughout South Asia, uh, we have uh, village copies that uh, that are are produced uh, for for notables, uh, and and so like I, I I mentioned that it's part of this larger network of Persian and Arabic learning that expands uh, on the Persian side from Bengal to you know to the Balkans and then on Arabic throughout North Africa, and it was because it was so concise and and well written uh, with. Uh, kind of the 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 latest out forms of elegance and 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 fine poetry uh, and and delectable stories woven throughout it. It was really uh, a, 
a book of incredible utility and also of in entertainment at the same time. So it was received quite, quite uh, well from the beginning and then just continued to travel. Uh, and it continued to travel as things change in the world profoundly and, and with it, the, the cosmological picture that Kazmini's book tells. And, um, and so that's part of the kind of tension in, in, in my, my own book is, is tracking, using the story of the, this one particular book of the world to tell a broader tale about changes in knowledge and learning and uh, affect of feeling and, and being in, in the world. And, and that story contains at the heart of it, these ruptures of what we, of this age of exploration that we, we often refer to it as an age of exploration that when the Western hemisphere is just, you know, finally uh, accessed by uh, European um, ex explorers and, uh, and merchants and, and conquistadors, uh, and then of course, Africa as well, and with it, the, the rise of um, imperialism. And this, this book, of course, uh, can Kazwini's uh, book has no knowledge of, of the, the Western hemisphere. Um, and, and yet his own, uh, natural history, as it was received in time, is updated with uh, current maps, you know, maps that are kind of taking into account changes in uh, geography and geographical knowledge. And so uh, part of the larger question that I've, I've been seeking to ask in this book is how is it that, that, that structures of knowledge change and are received over time and continue and adapt in unforeseen ways? And, uh, and so the continued appeal of a work like Kazvini's uh, Wonders and Rarities is a, is a testament to how classical learning itself could be uh, kind of much more supple than we might imagine in, 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 in its reception and how it's uh, uh, kind of models uh, a way of understanding new information about the world as it, as it uh, is uncovered. Thank you for the rich response. Um, yeah, very, very rich we'll, response. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll turn we'll turn more directly to your your book uh, in a moment. I'm glad that you folded in some of of its um, some of its aims uh, in passing. Uh, but just just one or or two. I can't resist just talking about this this book from antiquity uh, for one or two more questions. And uh, the question that comes to mind is: Can we say this is a book about um, natural wonders as well as supernatural wonders? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and indeed, it's precisely at, at the, the heart of um, the way we come into this, right? That angels in, in certain frameworks would be considered quite normal. Uh, and in the, and say the frameworks of, of uh, secularism would be considered kind of supernatural or paranormal or beyond the natural. Uh, and so part of the, the problem is the, like, wonder is itself a question of what is real, right? If we go back to that Aristotelian definition that we we wonder at things we don't understand the causes of, uh, like a phenomenon whose causes remain unknown to us. Uh, you know, th the question of what phenomena are real and not real is is quite quite at, at stake and and, uh, and and really at the at the heart of it. Um, uh, how, how is it that we're to know that jinn are real or not real? Jinn, uh, of course, feature prominently in the Quran and and in uh, Muslim tradition, uh, and and from a modern secular perspective, they can be rationalized in a variety of ways, and they have been rationalized in a, in a variety of ways. Uh, and so this book is filled with stories of jinn, for instance, and accounts of the powers of angels, the cosmic powers of angels, and and we think of that as supernatural from a modern perspective, looking at it, or secular perspective looking at it. Uh, and of course, for Kazuini, this was part of nature, right? This kind of forms part of how nature itself works, and nature does something very different for him than it does for us. Um, 
nature for us is a, I often think of the word in, in a couple of ways, but one of it, the ways is as a kind of a, almost like ecology, the study of the, the ecosystem, uh, the study of the natural world, uh, the natural world as separate from uh, the, the human made world in some sense. So there's some total of things that are natural in, in nature, because we need saw nature not in, in those terms, but rather as forces uh, in, in an Aristotelian sense, so nature as force and disposition um, and, and the forces in the cosmos, and rather what he calls, what we call nature, he would call creation. And creation is, of course, uh, a word that has a teleological argument packed into it. Who is the creator, if not God, right? So that the cosmos proceeds through a divine creator, and then creation is the result of, of the act of a creator, God, who has will and intention. And, and thus, you know, what is the question is what's beyond nature as you pose it is is a is a theological question of profound in, in importance what is natural and what is not natural what's um paranormal uh and indeed this word uh strange as i i've said this word a couple of times strange in arabic kharib is a is the word that comes to to mean the occult sciences, uh, the strange sciences, the paranormal sciences. Uh, and so fascinatingly enough, much of Kazuini's work is deeply interested in magic and um, and what we might think of as uh, the occult sciences. And, and it's precisely because these uh, arenas of what from a modern vantage might seem as supernatural or paranormal or uh, fictional uh, from his standpoint are part of the, an enchanted co cosmology. I find this I find this utterly fascinating for for so many reasons. Um, you know, on the one hand, um, 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 certainly it, it, through the through a, through an Islamic lens, there's one creation from one creator, and so all things under the sun are uh, are are generated by and are a part and parcel of the one emanation from Allah. Right. So this is right. it's all creation whatever whether it's normal or paranormal right. there's one source of all things right and so right. it's it's all part of his creation um on the other hand um, um even in a pre-modern context one would imagine that the the blurring of boundaries between the mundane and the paranormal would be enticing or jarring or, or fascinating even to, to readers of his time yeah um, I, absolutely i i think that's absolutely right that that there's something exciting about it even if it's, um, you know, even if it's naturalized, right? And and I think that's part of the appeal of a work like this. I mean, there's many kind of reasons that this book had such a long, long afterlives, but uh, I think part of it is the kind of practical utility because it, it really, much of the book is occupied with a, like a, a pharmacy of medicaments from uh, plants, animals, and minerals and that, that classical division of, of uh, the cosmos and the sublunar realm as it's, as it's referred to in the Aristotelian tradition of all things under the, the moon as it were and uh and and these physical substances in the world that include humans and the world is part of this interconnected cosmos of creation that the that the humans are are stand as, as one kind of kind of apex of that in this cosmology um but but are but are beneath in in this hierarchy of profit certainly as the, the culmination of of human potential in this cosmography as it's understood and then beyond that angels and and where jinn exist uh, certainly is a question but also the power of animals and plants and minerals is profound in this book and and Kazuini spends a good deal of time indexing all the various uses that you can put to like coriander or uh, turmeric for instance you know the the array of um 
spices and medicaments and uh, and uh, uh, unique properties uh, at at one's disposal and and the kind of manipulation of those properties. It, it in many ways the book is also a recipe book for how to pr produce strange results through an, a variety of substances um, as well. And I think that also speaks to the to these blurred lines um, too, of, of between magic and medicine or between magic and prophecy or magic and science and, and religion as it were. Uh, and in the modern period, those three categories are so clearly defined for us out of, out of the frameworks of secularism where uh, science, religion, magic are all kind of viewed in as separate domains that are indistinct and, from and one another. In addition to secularism, it seems to my mind, I mean, irrespective of the tradition, that this this distinction is demarcated in modernity by materialism or empiricism. Sure. Or measurability. Yeah. And so... Well, that's right, that you could think of this as a, a, a coming part and parcel with colonial modernity, too, uh, as well. I think you, the, the story of, of the scientific revolution also coincides with the... Um, the emergence of colonial powers, right, uh, uh, and and how these things get put hand in hand, uh, uh, and and with it new ways of of measuring and new ways of accounting. Um, but I wouldn't under uh, undersell the empirical kind of appeal to that that Kazuini evokes throughout uh, that these are tested kind of recipes uh, of from you know well worn experience, and indeed the the much of the discourse about the the wonders of physical substances kind of evolves empiricism uh precisely like the only way to know is by testing and trying what i mean to say is the distinction between he he's obviously a scientist as well as perhaps an occultist you know um mm -hmm. what i mean to say is that these categories would be in different works in different genres in our times by virtue of what we think of there are works yes. that are empirical and then, um, you know, if someone's looking at the physical body and measuring that in medicine, that's an impure, you know, medical science is, is amenable to empiricism. If one were to use a holistic model or an Ayurvedic model and bring right. in koshas that are beyond what we can discern and that are amenable to all sorts of um, extrasensory manipulation, then, but, but in this work, it seems that I think part of what's surprising is that, um, uh, let me put it this way. Do do you get the sense that he had direct knowledge of these realities and wonders? <laughs> That's a brilliant question. And and it's uh, and I think you're I, I, I absolutely agree about the kind of complexities and interconnections uh, as as well and, and the um, various forms of authority that the that a figure like Kazwini would have uh, wielded in his own day. And I think it is uh, it is useful to think of this as science and 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 some in in a sense that pushes our boundaries of how we imagine science, you know, where it lies and how it um, settled it is. And certainly his um, uh, his own practice is uh, is, is fascinating, uh, and and we get insights and gl and, glim and glimpses of it uh, throughout the work, both in in in, uh, in kind of references to well, this has been tried, like I've tried this, or experiences of 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 working. He he describes uh, plagues of lotuses and and how to to deal with them and fend them off, and it's and it suggests you know actual experience of of things that he's encountered himself. Um, and 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 if, uh, interestingly, to, that this this work is has a companion work to it um, that is on geography. So he has a whole cosmography, and that's that's this wonders and rarities. But he also has a a, a gazetteer of geography that um, is also kind of filled with his own experiences. You get the sense very much so that he is um, interacting with uh, wonder workers, uh, the people that we would refer to as Sufis, and and he 
and he uses that term uh and so saints and sufis that that claim the ability to heal and to produce wonders and and he catalogs those in, in his geography and he makes references to, to them in his in his own natural history as well and so i i think he is um uh, we can get that from his own writings that he's in contact with what what are mystics uh, for want of a better word mystics that are performing um miracles that authorities that and he, and he refers to several of his own personal experiences and and we also get this in the biographies of of uh, uh, biographical accounts of Kazwini that he was himself part of uh, orders of uh, um of sufi orders of the day uh and 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 so connected to these mystical currents of piety fascinating now that we have a, a very good sense of this wondrous work of the ancient world, let's turn to this uh, wondrous work of the modern world, your <laughs> book about this book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what's We know what the topic of your book is, but what's the angle? What's the, the, the core argument or thrust of your work? Right. So what I, I'm trying to do in, in, in this project is it's actually tell a much broader history of wonderment uh, in is Islam and in, in, in Eurasia uh, and and in so many areas where wonder has traveled in European history have been explored uh, quite uh, thoroughly and there's a really good uh, body of scholarship out there on uh, wonder and nature <laughs> um, on this age of exploration uh, that, that I'm highlighting on the uh, wonderment as itself an imperial process uh, and an imperial forms of uh, of of imagining space, but also of, of forms in, in medieval scholasticism in the Latin West of of in, in, of entertainment, but also pious contemplation. And, and so there's a, a, a fascinating comparative history to be done here. And, and there's work um, that that uh, has as is ongoing now and, and continues to should continue to, de to um, kind of develop on these connections between wonder in, in say the Latin West and the Islamic tradition and, and Sanskrit poetics, uh, uh, Asian cosmologies, um, it, there's something almost kind of universal about it. And yet there are also real kind of particularities too. And so part of and the, what this book is about is trying to tell the story of wonder in Islam writ large uh, and, and to imagine the, the, the kind of uniqueness of this discourse, why it's so pliable um, and, and, and why it's so supple and can be used and, and evoked in so many different registers over such a broad period of time. And th that discourse is summarized in this expression, wonders and rarities, um, in Persian or Arabic or Turkish. And then it's always the same phrase. And, uh, and, it, and it's so legible and it gives meaning to this book, but also gives meaning to a whole set of uh, aesthetic dispensations and um, ways of imagining the world and our place in it and the boundaries between the real and the unreal and, and with it, the, the arena of fiction and pleasure. Uh, so I was using Kazwini's book as a kind of Trojan horse to try to tell this broader story about wonder and the particularities of it too, because it's almost you, the comparative can can easily border on a, on the banal in a way because it's maybe it's it's so universal that we all share it. Um, you know, there's even great work on on wonder in in primates and animals broadly. So in the history of emotions, you know, humans certainly aren't the only to you know kind of species to have feelings uh, and and to contemplate and and yet this. Um, uh, and so while we have wonder as this kind of almost universal feeling you could imagine, there's also, you know, there's much to be said on the history of emotions of what makes them legible is precisely the, the specificities of their context and the ideological frameworks that animate them and give them sense. And, and in that regard, wonder in Islamic vocabularies is also 
a discourse about God and nature and um, and potential and it's and and plurality uh, and ambiguity and it's a kind of discourse of ambiguity that uh, is cultivated quite widely in in Arabic uh, Islamic philosophical traditions and poetic traditions as well. So I think that this book is also an emblem for a certain se sensibility of the world, um, of how to be uh, and, and act and ethically in a world of, of d diversity and of um, inequality and of hierarchy uh, and, and how to navigate those spaces and navigate them with etiquette and with pleasure. So it's also very much a book of ethics and decorum as well. How is your book structured? Right, as, as I mentioned, I, I was I was very interested in doing something kind of lively and playful because this because Kazuini's book is not only a natural history but it is also uh, I think an invitation to to in entertainment an invitation to diversion and so I I wanted to keep that spirit alive and telling this broader story of of wonder. So I, I structured my book in three parts, um, kind of roughly, roughly modeling the three parts that Kazuini developed. So he has um, an introduction and then he has the, 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 which is the first part, a very significant introduction. And then he has uh, the upper atmosphere. So the celestial spheres and then the lower atmosphere of the sublunar spheres. Uh, and those are the, the the three, the kind of the main parts. And so in, in my book, I'm, I, I have a kind of, I structure it with a, a story about Kazvini's life, so his life and times, and then a section on the book itself on the natural history and its contents and how do we understand its contents and its time. Uh, and then uh, the final section on the reception of the work. So it's the kind of life and times and reception, as it were. Um, but throughout it, I'm, I'm drawing on Kazvini's uh, writings and then the way the, this work was received across various em empires and through broad changes and, and shifts in, in learning. So it um, it's structured in this three-part way to tell a, a biography of a book, a biography of an author, but also also the, the history of, of a set of ideas and ways of, of thinking in the world. What, um, well, in, with this sort of work, it might be a number of things, but what did you find most striking, intriguing, even challenging while doing this work? Yeah, the challenge, I mean, in many ways, it's the archive is, is vast and, and we are of an age that our, our resources and our methods and the materials that we have available to us allow us to tackle on a corpus of such magnitude, a, a body of text that's so uh, widely dispersed that we have um, increasingly, and I've seen it in my own life, of course, uh, we've all witnessed the way that digitization and digital materials has transformed um, what we know of the past and how we can gain access to, uh, in codicological terms, in terms of archives to manuscripts. And so just the sheer breadth of the manuscript record was uh, was astounding of the number of copies of this work. It really was a pre-modern bestseller and that it continued to endure for so many years uh, and that it continued to endure right in the face of European uh, uh, colonial modernity and, and uh, withering critiques of Orientalists and missionaries about the kind of backward state of Orientals and that this cosmography and cosmographies like it were emblems of ignorance, of Oriental ignorance that had to be forgotten. So the fact that this work you know, written on the uh, right after the Mongol conquest and, and continued up from the 1250s all the way into past the 1850s, right, into the into the we have printings of it um, clearly that were meant for its not just as a kind of artifact, but as a as a testament to a living tradition into the 20th century. Um, 
and uh, so that was just just kind of astounding. Like, how do you measure that? How do you give form to that and and tell a story through it? Um, and then finding along the way, there were just so many gems of of things like in an archive so diverse and so um, so wide, a, a, a geographical region and historical frame that to see the individual lives uh, of, of, of the artisans and the craftsmen behind uh, the, 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 the manuscripts, the readers who wrote in the margins. So there's, there, you really are uh, interacting when you do a, a, a book of reception like this, you're, you're really interacting with so many lives and so many stories that um, kind of peer through the, the shards of it, as it were of what survived um, in this archive, this vast archive of Arabic, Persian, Turkish, Urdu writings. Is this work, your work, the first compilation or the first discussion of that archive at a glance? Is this the first major work so, on this work? Yeah, as I, as I, I mentioned, um, there's been a, a very long reception in art history of Kazvini's uh, natural, um, his cosmography, uh, his wonders and rarities. And the reason that it's so attracted the attention of art historians is it's been, as I highlight, it's a, it's a wonderful index to talk about the circulation of ideas, right? And the way that a whole vocabulary kind of uh, travels over time and place. But in, in an art historian perspective, it's also a way of highlighting the various motifs and uh, idioms of painting and, and styles of painting, uh, because there's uh, so many examples of Kazvini's wonders and rarities uh, in painted form. So it, it really is a, offers a, a just a wonderful historical overview of the different styles and uh, developed in courts and regions uh, in, in uh, this large arena of Persian, Arabic, Turkish, Urdu letters. Uh, so it has been uh, discussed in, uh, in scholarly context, uh, and, and certainly it's well known to specialists in, in the, the fields of Persian, Arabic, uh, uh, Turkish letters. Um, and there's there's been uh, great studies on, on Kazvini before this, but none have really tackled this broad picture in the same way. And by that, I mean the long reception history, like put it all together and kind of tell a story of why it is that this work endured so long, uh, and also uh, to, to take it out of the museum and to view it not as single folios, but as this, as a, a set of of readings that were developed and circulated as a kind of repertoire or script that that was legible for centuries. Uh, nobody's really kind of taken a big picture view of what it all means and why we're as you know writing from the the framework of of modernity, why why it's such an interesting or strange text to, to think with at that larger theoretical level. And so I hope to fill that space by all, A, introducing Kazvini, because he's almost uh, unknown to, to people outside of, of the specialist circles um, of, of uh, Islamic learning, but also to uh, so introduce him to a wider audience, but also to, uh, to give a bitter, a, a kind of more fuller sense of what his work has meant uh, and, and the challenges that it that it poses. Um, many a work and many a topic are well known, perhaps among specialists, and and yet this uh, podcast, the New Books Network Enterprise, exists so as to disseminate these findings to to to, to generalists, to other types of scholars, to students, to 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 a to an interested um, public audience. And so perhaps it's a a stroke of fate. Initially, I've got an invitation from your publisher to cover this book. Presumably because they've I've covered others, um, others 
more um, central to uh, South Asia or Indian religions. And initially, I thought, well, what you know, I, I, perhaps I should pass this pass this off. And, and uh, Marshall, who runs the New Books Network, said, no, you know, yeah, the the um, <laughs> the author chooses the book. Go ahead, you know, do whatever you want to do. And I thought, okay, well, let's do it. Let's cross post it to Islamic studies. But by the same token, by virtue of hosting it in Indian religions. Without question, folks are going to hear parallels. They're going to hear intriguing material in this figure. I could think of a number of books that I've covered that are related in some way, shape, or form. And one would never make those connections were it not for these conversations. Absolutely. Um, so let me ask you, um, who might, whether in terms of interests or subfields, et cetera, et cetera, who might most uh, benefit from this work? Yeah, the, the, so you're absolutely right that it that it's that we have a book within a book, and so it touches on all these different facets, um, almost global in in its reach. And the, the there are detailed chapters uh, toward the end uh, that that culminate in South Asia, where Kazwini has just a, a really unique reception history, uh, and and part of the story that. I, I tell of, of this reception history is through the, the use of marginalia, the way that marginal uh, writing writings on the, the margins of, of his work uh, became a, a standard in South Asia. And they would include, and, and this is part of that, that global reach, you know, uh, selections from Darshuko's uh, writings on the Upanishads, for instance, and his uh, in his writings, Darshuko, of course, the Mughal prince, uh, um, known for his engagement with Sanskrit cosmology and Sanskrit learnings and Persian letters, you know, the translation of of a whole variety of Sanskrit materials and and discourses in Indic thought um, into Persian. And, and indeed, this book is, uh, in in many ways, Kazwini's uh, natural history serves as a a kind of um, emblem of of. Of, of natural history that becomes entirely intelligible in, in South Asia in Persian Urdu writings. And, and, and it's also entirely intelligible in, in the Ottoman Turkish you know, context as well. Um, and also fascinatingly enough in, uh, to kind of European writers who get access to his, his work in the course of the um, 16 and 1700s. So uh, in, in this period of um, exploration and expansion and European uh, writings on, on the natural world, Kazuini also has an appearance. And so, uh, he, you know, the fact that it travels in all these different arenas and has things to say about colonialism, about uh, broad uh, imperial networks, about the nature of of cosmology, and how to think with other cosmologies and how to kind of challenge uh, the, 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 the normal and, and the quotidian and, and see the world anew. It, these, these arguments have such a kind of universal appeal, right? These sensibilities of, of, of wonder. So I, I do feel like it, it, it certainly is rooted in, in a field of Islamic studies, but it also kind of branches out into this broader, almost global, uh, certainly as Kazwini saw it, global universal cosmic, you know, um, uh, arena and, and sets of implications that I think, you know, would be very appealing to a whole variety of, of readers. So this is obviously a fascinating topic, but you've also just uh, um, um, pushed out a book on it. Are you still working on this topic or what What are you working on now? You're well, it's a great a question. Break, yeah. <laughs> Take a bit of a break. Yeah. So this was... Uh, uh, you know, over a decade's worth of of thinking and writing and and traveling and and going to various archives, um, I have a lot of uh, other projects that are uh, on the back burner, as it were, writing projects. One on uh, on sacred geography and and space and uh, and pilgrimage, uh, so building out of and and 
and in many ways expanding the, the work that I've been doing. But uh, I think for now, this is, uh, I, I'm going to be uh, certainly taking a bit of a breather uh, from, from the writing uh, for a bit and, and uh, attend to a variety of other little projects. But yeah. Take a bit of a breather and a moment to enjoy yeah. the accolades. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Well, we'll Excellent. Well, excellent. Was there, was there anything about the book? Um, um, obviously, I'm, 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 I'm nothing near a, a, an Islamicist or a specialist in this field, so I, uh, one hopes the questions were sufficiently engaging for this work without getting too nuts and bolts. Um, but was there anything else about the work that you hoped we touch on today? Yeah, thank you. So the, the, you, as, I, as I highlighted this uh, reception history and that implicates colonial modernity and uh, and Orientalism, the history of, of Orientalism, uh, and these stories of, of disenchantment. The one of the things that I was very keen on on doing uh, as well as this was to think broadly about enchantment uh, as as a as, as a kind of aesthetic sensibility uh, and also as a, a sensibility of of how to know the world and how to be in the world. And so a lot of the writing uh, it, it was itself, as I developed it, was itself engaging with thinking with uh, novel ways of telling stories uh, and, and, and an, an academic framework or in a, and as, a, as a social intellectual historian, how do I harness the, the, the stories that I am, am uncovering and, and engaging with in a way that's, that's, that's meaningful and pleasurable uh, as well. So the writing process was itself a, a way of, of actually thinking with method and theory, like what does it mean to actually write in, in a form that's intelligible and accessible and pleasurable uh, and and has uh, an appeal to it. So um, it was also a, a, a nice experiment as well to, for, for me as a writer to think of how how voice and, and perspective are, are so vital to how we tell stories. Um, so that was part of my own agenda in writing this was to, to think with the, the written word in, in creative ways uh, and to to use the power of, of enumeration, of lists, of anecdotes, of uh, digressions, like many in many ways, like the the narratives, you know, the tricks that are in the Arabian Nights <laughs> that we see, uh, the the story of uh, the Thousand and One Nights. That Kazuini's work in in so many fascinating ways is connected to because of so many of his tales actually have parallels with the Arabian Nights, uh, and so that literary aesthetics element of the the writing process was also very important to, to me as a as 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 a scholar and 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 someone who's been thinking with these materials how to tell the story of 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 the of these these writings in a way that's legible it's certainly worth mentioning indeed um the, it, it's a it's a rich literary style which is atypical for academic books perhaps more typical than at one point in history um but nevertheless it's it's clear it's a style that befits the object of study and it, it, it's some it, it's 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 somewhat internalized uh for me that um the best speakers and the best and the best authors are storytellers as storytelling being able being able to curate the information in a way that is accessible that's entertaining that, that, that it pulls you along um and i think um your work certainly exhibits that quality which makes it um super accessible and enjoyable and i i thought it occurred to me that that was your homage to how enjoyable <laughs> the object of study was 
Absolutely, that's right. You know that, that and I feel like there's a responsibility as scholars to make this work accessible uh, and and to be beyond just specialists, certainly. And and that's uh, I I feel when we write about in the, just the hierarchies of, of of writing about others and about other pasts, you know, there's a, there's something to be said about clarity and sympathy. You know, there's so much of academic writing is structured around antipathy and antagonism towards others. <laughs> you know, either it's your the, the, the field that's got it wrong or uh, the whole ethical sensibility is problematic or, you know, that the, you know, there's a whole kind of tension around uh, around how we interact with others. And so I also wanted to cultivate a sense of sympathy and uh, and with it, try to imagine alternate ways of being in the world and seeing the world. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, one of the driving forces of my scholarship and podcasting and, and really everything that I try to do is bringing folks together. Um, um, and but, but to your point, uh, once uh, I came across uh, through the grapevine um, um, a scholar that uh, had initially declined uh, coming on the podcast, thinking that I was in a certain camp whether that mm. camp was scholar, scholarly or ideological. And perhaps that scholar and others have soon learned that I will interview anybody <laughs> under the sun who is producing a credible scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that the, Absolutely. But, but, but it speaks a tension between the, 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 the modality of scholarship, which as you say, has to do with uh, picking apart things, picking apart ideas, yeah. factions, certainly in my Puranic studies scholarship, um, I critique other methods certainly and yet in this space and in, in sort of the public discourse space uh, in the space of public intellectualism it's a question of bringing folks together and it's a question Absolutely. of making accessible um it's a question of being as inclusive in the discourse as we can um yeah and, and it's a it's a it's a wonderful of opening up too I, I feel as well that it that opening up both your style as a writer and, and thinker and um and the kinds of conversations that that you can have around uh, these challenging topics too, which are topics about you know where we are and where we're going. There's sort of big, big uh, issues baked into it, um, and and it, with it, you know, our relationship to the natural world and our relationship to suffering, uh, and and to each other uh, as well in a global scale. So, the to how to curate those conversations and bring them into a kind of broader set of arguments and stories is it's really um, it's a it's just a, a privilege to work in this field. That's a lovely note to end on. I want to thank you for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, um, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be able to share with you this work. Our pleasure for hosting you. Once again, I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran, and I've been speaking with Dr. Travis Zadeh, who is a, a professor at the Department of Religion at Yale University on his fascinating uh, new um, Harvard University Press publication, Wonders and Rarities, the marvelous book that traveled the world and mapped the cosmos. Until next time, uh, keep well, stay safe, stay sane, and um, keep contemplating the wonders of the world. Take care. <laughs>